All right, everybody, welcome into another episode of Debate Night. Uh, this is obviously a little bit different than what you're used to seeing. Uh, well, you're not seeing Brody at all. I'm not sure what entrance he has planned. I'm assuming that's why he decided to disappear from the camera. Um, but we're doing a 1v1 today. We have a, a little bit of a different format. Basically, we, uh, you know, Brody, as always, was on a, a Twitter um I don't know what the right word is for a, a path of destruction on Twitter, just laying out takes as he does as always. And, um, you know, people always have their disagreements as, as was typical with disc golf Twitter, but uh, we're joined as well today by uh, Dana Vici. And he, uh, if you, a lot of you are probably familiar with Dana, big part of uh, disc mania for a while, been in the sport now for a good bit. Uh, thanks for, thanks for joining today, Dana. Trevor Brody, appreciate the invite. And, uh, Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, so Dana is somebody who had some uh, disagreeing uh, opinions. He had some differing opinions, I should say, to some of Brody's takes, and was gracious enough to come on the show, do a, a you know nice, friendly debate, and actually talk these things through, which is really cool because a lot of people, you know, on Twitter like to just say their piece and get out of there. Um, but Dana decided to hop on the show, and we're going to talk through some things. Um, Brody, are you ever going to hop back on the camera? <laughs> Still not there. Okay. Well, Dana, you can, we're going to start with our first topic. Um, is this a, wait, this wait, 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 thing that he's gonna, gonna do. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the music is so quiet. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. What was the song choice there? I could, uh, I could royalty free, royalty free. Of course. Okay. Okay. Um, that's good. We, we are good covered. to go. But we yeah, you kind of already said it, Trevor. I just want to say a big sh shout out to Dana for actually jumping on here. Uh, very surprised and very excited because I suck at tweeting. I really do. I'm really bad with words. My spelling is terrible. My grammar is terrible. And I much rather just talk and have a combo. So Trevor, thank you for setting up. Dana, thanks for jumping on. All right. Well, we're going to hop into kind of our first top of, topic of discussion. And this was something that's been kind of long, long term on, uh, on Twitter, been a theme. And to be fair, the foundation, you know, we talk about a lot. And that is the trophies and the quality of the trophies on tour. And for the majors, it's been something that we've talked about a lot. Um, this was kind of stirred up a little bit more whenever... Um, you know, Brody was talking about the trophies a lot and Dana then tweeted saying winning trophies is greater than rating them. Um, may have called Brody a chump as well, but Dana, so what, what is your, what is your opinion on all this? What did you mean with that tweet? And what do you feel is the current state of trophies? Do you think they're acceptable? Do you think it's just not a huge issue? What do you, how do you feel about all that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a wide ranging topic, you know, uh, trophies and like events. And I, I think we can focus on uh, like high level pro tour major trophies versus like, you know, <laughs> these, these types of what event was that Derby? <laughs> Yeah, was that a Pinewind Derby trophy that you got, Boy Scouts? No, this is uh, one of my first disc golf trophies. Oh, my geez. dad actually just dropped it off in the last week. So really good time in 2006 Peoria Frisbee club, Ironman first place skins doesn't mean anything, but, and I wouldn't have kept it cause it's a, a junk trophy, but Hey, when your parents are cleaning out your house, you get, you get these old trophies back. Um, but then we've got, you know, on the other, other end of things, a trophy from a pro tour, third place, uh, Utah open. So, uh, a unique trophy, uh, which, I think is part of the, one of the things that I like about trophies. I, is that I, a snow globe? Uh, it's like a piece of, uh, blown glass with, Oh, uh, okay. Oh, with you in there and like, Oh, the, nice. The state kind of a, okay. I don't know. Kind of a cool piece. Uh, yeah. doesn't, doesn't serve a whole lot of purpose other than a, a reminder of a, a nice, uh, couple of days of disc golf for myself. Um, but anyways, trophies, I, I love a unique, and an interesting trophy. And I think the, the thing that spurred this conversation was the Jim Palmieri's 50th uh, American Flying Disc. Uh, forgive me for forgetting the name, but anyways, that's the event where uh, Jim Palmieri, 
I got a puppy. Uh, Jim Palmieri ran a tournament and gave away a car for first place. This year was the 50th anniversary. And instead of giving a car, they gave, they sourced uh, steering wheels from that same car and then had the information engraved. I thought it was a very thoughtful, well thought out, uh, meaningful trophy. And uh, Brody, you know, hopped on Twitter and, and blasted the trophy, which I think there's been trophy talk in the past. And um, I think blasted it without knowing the history, which I think is more of the underlying uh, beef that I have uh, with, with Brody's tweets. But anyways, for this particular topic, uh, the trophies, yeah, I think they should be interesting uh, or they can be interesting. They don't have to be. I love a, a nice glass, you know, blown like what they did at Worlds. Uh, but anyways, people work hard for trophies to make them, to source them. People work hard to win them. And then I think when, you know, get on and trash them or, you know, people are posting their trophies, whether they're good, bad or otherwise, uh, to someone somewhere, they earn that or they, they put that together or they got a donation. And so when, when I see someone like Brody blasting them, I, I think that's uh, a little a little poor. So would you say generally you think that the pro tour and the majors do a pretty good job with the trophies? Would you say that is your general opinion on them? Would you say there's some hits and misses or, or what is your, your stance on that? Naturally there, there are some hit and hits and misses, but um, again, like to, to blast a trophy, like I, it's easy to do to, if you just see a picture of it. But then, you know, what is the story behind it? And is, is there a re was it a local artist, a famous artist? It might not look that interesting via picture, but it's actually a super cool trophy that, uh, you know, costs a lot or otherwise. But, yeah, I think that for the most part, the trophies are good. There's, there's some swings and misses. However, that's not particularly, for me, that's not really something that, that I'm, I'm looking to go out and uh, to burn, down, burn someone down over because I, I – I've ran events, um, trophies, it's not always easy to, to come up with something interesting or quality. And so uh, I, I tend to defend those volunteers or staff or whomever that are, are hosting these events and then putting, putting nice things together for the event, whether trophy, player pack, cash, horses, and otherwise. So you're okay. usually me defending those types of people. Okay, Brody. So, how do you how do you respond to that? Um, what do you what is your what is your reason for rating the trophies? What is your philosophy behind the trophies? And and if you think they need improvement, what what is your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I'll go through first. You said you weren't prepared, but you brought two trophies, so that was kind of cool to kind of go through memory lane there a little bit. And I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes to like winning trophies. It's so much more to the person that wins it. It's so much more about what that tournament meant or what that event meant or whatever it was that ended up giving you the trophy. That's what matters the most to that person and what the actual trophy is. I'm sure. Yes, it could probably uh, enhance that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it probably doesn't matter too much. I have trophies all the way back into high school that I can go and look back on or show my kids and, and come and have like stories pop in my head that I can retell. So I first want to say, I don't think it really matters that much to the players themselves that are winning them. Uh, we also agree. Yes. Winning trophies is definitely better than rating trophies. I'm 1000% in agreement with that. I think that is a very smart statement that you made on Twitter. Um, I have, I do have a qu couple questions before I go into it. Cause I'm curious what your thoughts are. Do you think more people watched the uh, America flying disc open or saw the photo that uh, the Disc Golf Pro Tour tweeted, posted on Instagram, and posted on Facebook with the trophy and the winners. My my best estimate is that more people consume that event via the social media posts. Okay, versus so, versus tuning in. Gotcha. So they would have missed all the history that was talked about that was uh, through the event. All they're seeing is the photo and a steering wheel. Is it on them now to then say, hold on, before I say what I want to say about the steering wheel, let me dig in and research what the steering wheel means. Or are we assuming that most people are just going to see the photo and be like, that's kind of weird that they want a steering wheel. 
Yeah, that's a that's a fair that's a fair point. Um, Especially like casual fans, right? Because casual fans, are they really going to be like, oh, I really want to spend time looking up what this tournament meant, or are they just going to see that photo that you know Ezra Robinson won, Miss Frisbee's won, Chantel, and and then just having a reaction of like, oh, that trophy's kind of okay. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, and I think uh, I think what you know, looking ahead due to this, maybe what we're, we're talking about here is that it, maybe it should become part of the standard operating procedure for the, the pro tour, uh, PDJ or, or whatnot is to, if there's a historical reason for the trophy or some sort of significance aside from, you know, if it's something out of the ordinary, maybe there's, there should be some sort of, uh, ed- education. Uh, so, so people aren't confused or people aren't ripping, you know, what is, is actually a really cool and thoughtful steering wheel trophy. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I still, yeah, I, I still think it's a bad trophy, but it definitely got better. Once I heard the, the background history of it, um, it definitely obviously wasn't, you know, a random steering wheel. Like I initially had thought someone, someone asked me like, why was it steering wheel? And I was like, well, it says like, well, first off, I thought it was maybe like to a plane because it's the American flying disc open. So I thought maybe it was like the steering wheel to a plane. I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, once I kind of heard the history a little bit more about them giving out the car and it's a steering wheel from the car, I was like, okay, that makes more sense. Doesn't necessarily make, make it a good trophy in other people's opinions. Uh, or other people's minds. The other question I have is, you know, you did mention that you thought some trophies were hit or miss, right? Some trophies are awesome. So, or, and you, we'll just keep with hit or miss. So I don't, you know, add yeah. any words. Um, the miss trophies, how do, how do those people know it's a miss trophy? If no one says anything about it? How, how does who know? The, the people involved, the tournament, Cause you did say there are some hit or miss trophies. So if no one is coming to social media to say, Hey, I don't think this trophy is great. My yeah. example in this is like worlds last year, worlds last year, that trophy got absolutely annihilated and it should have, it was, it looked like a third grade ch- children's art project and it got absolutely annihilated this year's trophy at worlds 10 times better, way better. And my question is like, do you think people at worlds took that into account. Like, do you think the PDGA took that into account of like, Hey, we got roasted last year for our trophy. We might want to spend a little bit extra money, a little bit extra time effort into making a good trophy this year. And that's just my thing. If like, if, if there are some misses, like you have agreed, there are some misses. If everyone wants to play nice and doesn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Cause yes, I obviously know I've, I've, I've seen Hunter Thomas firsthand ter- uh, TD tournaments. It looks like an absolute nightmare. So I'm, this again is not ever a shot on the people that put in so much work. It's not a shot on the people that spent time on the trophy. There are just some trophies that are duds. And I think you just have to let people know like, Hey, that's a dud trophy. So that way they don't continue to make dud trophies in the future. And I guess what is your, what would you say is the best way to go about it with the misses? Like the trophies that you say are misses. How do we let them know that they're misses? Well, first I, I think, you know, you're talking about the PDGA and, and their role in, in the world championship trophies. I, I would assume that it's more so on the hosts versus the PDGA. Oh, interesting. And that's, that's just my assumption, just based on how different the trophies are year by year. They're not, they're not the same and they're, you know. Do you think they have like an approval thing? Like, do you think they, or do you think the PGA just shows up and the, the, the local people are like, hey, this is our trophy. It's going to be a ribbon. And the PGA is like, okay, no, I or do you think there is, a, there, there's like a collaboration there? If maybe not a collaboration, but more so going through the, you know, event preparation, you know, for the last 18 months, I'm sure at some point they said, Hey, trophies, here's what we're going to do. Does this sound good? Yep. We'll make it. So I think it, it probably is decided in some sort of collaborative effort. And I don't know the thing with trophies, which with everything. It's so subjective and, yeah. and what is good. So, I mean, we're, it's a, it's a tough thing to argue and then to say like, what should you know, if there's, if there's a miss, uh, if you will, of a trophy, how to, uh, appropriately and, uh, say that. And is, should that be up to the winner? Should it be up to the host team, the PDGA Brody Smith? 
I don't know. I, I get the feeling that with the, the heightened um, awareness that you've brought around trophies, uh, we're going to see them uh, improve and we're going to, we're, we're not going to see all, all that many misses moving forward. However, if it is a local decision on the tournament directors, like naturally there's going to be some subjective opinions that a, a tournament trophy is, is not good or, yeah. or whatever the case. But I, I honestly can see like these conversations uh, pushing, pushing the trophy game forward. And if, if so, good job. And I think you're right. I mean, th this world trophy, for example, when I first saw it, I actually really, really liked it a lot. The only thing I didn't like that much about it was the size. I thought the size was a little too small. And then I thought the, the, the plate work. Uh, so at the bottom, I thought that was a little bit on the cheap side. I would have liked to have se seen more of maybe an engraving. That's something that kind of looks like something that, you know, you would almost put like at your local bowling alley trophy where you just get like a, a pretty cheap plate put on there. But I love the actual overall of the trophy and obviously way better than last year. Now, there are still some people complaining and being like, oh, it looks like the mal, mal I'm not going to be able to say this word, mal, maleficent. Is that what the maleficent, maleficent horns, right? It looks like the horns. There's going to always, and that's where I think we both agree. There's always going to be people that think, oh, this is trash. This is, this is good. Um, I think the difference, though, is like, this is cheap. I think that's one that I think a lot of people can agree on of like, Oh, this, this just looked like someone just, and that was kind of the whole running joke was someone just went into the garage and was like, I need to find a trophy. And then just like, Oh, I have a paddle. Okay. And then I just put MPO champion on it. And now I have a trophy to me. That's, that's where, um, that was what I was trying to, you know, get tournament directors or whoever's in charge of trophies. And like you said, I kind of agree that now if I'm dealing with trophies, again, this is on the pro level. I, most of the, everything I tweet about and talk about is on the pro level. I think people are going to be a little bit more concerned with their trophy where I think before it kind of took a back seat and no one really cared, which is to me, I think that's just a respectful thing, not only to the winner, but also like we said, most people are only going to see the picture. And that picture also might go through to other people that aren't even in disc golf via social media. And it'd be nice just to have something that looks a little bit on the, uh, Oh, that's, that's kind of like a professional looking trophy. That's, that's my, 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 I guess my final take on it. Yeah. And I agree. Winning them is way better than, than, uh, rating. Them. Sure. Sure. Naturally. Um, and I mean, when we're talking trophies too, like, it's it's not a secret that a lot of the, a lot of these players that win a lot of trophies, they're giving them away. They're leaving them at Airbnbs, at uh, campgrounds, where, wherever. Like I, that's like. So how much do you invest, and how much does it matter if like you know someone that let's say is winning hundreds of events, they don't they don't really care. They just want that notch on the belt. They want that title, whether it's pro tour worlds us um so well that's the last thing that's the last thing people are going to remember a tournament by is the trophy well that that is legitimately the last thing you see right the last the, the trophy presentation is pretty much the last thing as a viewer if you're watching the tournament that is the last thing you see and then obviously all the social media posts that go, come with it the trophy is in it so I would, I would just assume that you would want to like have your last like effect be a strong one and not one that's like people all of a sudden talking about the trophy. Cause like no one's talking about the world's trophy. It's just no one last year, man, no, people couldn't stop talking about, it, right. Looked like they, uh, people were talking about the star Wars thing where they, they iced uh, Han Solo. That's what they look like. You know, someone iced their face in like a, a mask or something and then froze it. So, yeah, I think I think it's come a long way this year. We're okay. just talking about worlds. Okay, um, Dana, any closing statements on the trophy category, or are we good to move on? Um, I just like to um, on the tweet. I would just like to note that it was probably not in my best interest to call you a chump. Um, <laughs> however, um, you know, so for that, you know, look 
looking at you face to face on the on the screen. I I'm sorry for calling you a chump on that, even though I still disagree. Uh, it's all good. Tw- Twitter is uh, Twitter is the spot for name calling. So I've yeah. I've seen I've seen much worse than that. Yeah, and on that note, you got you guys that do this every week on Twitter are. I don't know how you keep up. I'm, uh, I might be uh, going back on a Twitter break. <laughs> my, my notifications are not stopping. And it's, if you get into of, this, a lot of ugly too. If you get into the thick of Twitter, it's, it's not pretty. Um, and yeah, I mean, and I was, I was going to say, you know, a lot of people talk about like why pros don't talk and don't speak up on issues. I think if, if you do, if you do it once, I think you you see real quickly it's it's a lot, and that's probably why most people are like I'm just gonna sit back and not do anything, which I I under I completely understand. Well, that actually, that's that's a hard way though for for stuff to change because again I'm sure you know you being a pro yourself I'm sure you heard a lot of complaining on tour about a lot of stuff, and uh, you know it's not all roses out there. Not everyone's super happy about everything but people are really scared to come out on social media and say what they really want to say because of the backlash. This is actually a good segue. Um, something else that Dana wanted to kind of talk about was your approach to Twitter, because obviously, mm-hmm. um, and I, Dana, you can kind of explain what you meant by that, but obviously Brody is probably the most vocal player on tour by a large margin, not afraid to certainly voice any and all opinions he has on the state of disc golf, the state of the tour, anything like that. So Dana kind of, kind of talk about, you know, how you feel about Brody's approach to Twitter and maybe the positives and negatives of that approach. And, um, and just start with that. Yeah. Um, so I think the way I see Brody's approach to Twitter is, uh, tweet, First, ask questions later, uh, which we kind of saw with uh, the trophy conversation. Like, take have this hot take or this opinion, and it's uh, a little half baked, where where you don't have all the answers, all the history, and and all that. And it's it's impossible to do so. You're still new in the sport, but uh, with such a following and so much power, if you will, or reach, I think is a better word. I feel like it's. Uh, in a lot of cases, it's irresponsible uh, because you are going on there and you, you do have a lot of po- good points here and there, but the way you present them or the when you just tweet without knowing, a lot of people take that as the truth and as, hey, Brody said it or this is. And so you're basically your opinion become is you formulate the opinion for you know, your fans and, and followers that, that really in, enjoy you and your content when there's times where it's not, you know, like your, your tweets are, you know, you shoot first, ask questions later, and then come to find out, oh, wow, this, this is why. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's my, I, I would say my main, main issue is that uh, oftentimes, to me, it feels like you just go on there, hop off, and, and then worry about the facts later. Uh, if there are any facts or any, any, you know, I feel like this conversation about, you know, between us has gone on longer than the typical Twitter, uh, conversation. Cause usually it's on to the, with, with your, tw- uh, Twitter activity, it's on to the next, you know, the next tweet, the next problem, the next hot take, and it, it gets brushed to the side. And, you know, that initial tweet is all that people see. They don't see anything in the comments about, Hey, my group actually wasn't playing slow or my, you know, the trophy was made here or, or otherwise what they, what people remember is that first tweet that got a lot of engagement and then it's on to the next hot take. And, and therefore there, there becomes misinformation, in my opinion, like misguided views, or maybe even, I don't want to say misinformation, but maybe misguided views is, is the best way to, to, to say that. So I, I feel it's, you know, Again, you have good points on there, and you know I, I agree with some of the things you say on there. However, just that rip out the phone and, and pop it off real quick uh, rubs me the wrong way. Okay, Brody, how do you respond to that? Well, I'll first say that is kind of unfortunately what Twitter is. When you have a thought pop into your head, you tweet it out. That's that's normally how people are using that app. I will say though, I agree with you in the sense that 
you know, there are times where I'll post something and there is a little bit more context there. Um, for example, the two examples you gave, cause those are the only two examples, um, I can go off of. If there's more, please let me know. But the two examples you gave, I still stand by my original tweet though. So the one about the steering wheel trophy, I still think it was, a, a, a it, it didn't look like a good trophy. Now I did, once someone gave me information about why it was a steering wheel and all that, I quote tweeted that so everyone could see. And I said, this added context definitely makes the trophy better, but I still don't think it's a good trophy. Um, And then the same thing with the pace of play that you just had mentioned about me saying, you know, when in fact, if you go and you look at, again, I tweeted, I quote tweeted again, what Andrew Presnell came up with the chart and you go and you look at the chart that he tweeted, he has a lead card based off of his, his uh, chart. He has lead card finishing before chase card, which I haven't been playing disc golf that long, but I I will say, I think that's impossible. Um, So again, I think when people throw other contexts and stuff as well, there can also be very, uh, some unfactual things. And then I'll say too, I think the thing that rubs people the, the most, the wrong way about me tweeting and I'm never going to change this because this is just who I am. And if you don't like it, I completely understand is I don't sugarcoat stuff. I see that happen a lot in disc golf where the first three points they'll have is talking about how awesome someone is, how they love them so much. And they're and the most incredible person ever. And then the fourth thing is like, I don't like them for this. I'm just going to straight out. I'm just going to cut out all that stuff. I don't have Twitter blue or whatever it's X blue or whatever it's called now. I don't have all the characters. I'm just going to tweet the stuff I want to say. So, um, and we can go into pace of play if you want, because that is a very, uh, a very interesting topic because I think it actually hurts, not just the players. It hurts the spectators on the grounds. I think it hurts the production. I think it hurts everyone involved in disc golf. Um, but I would agree with you. Yes. There are some times where I tweet something and there's more information out there than the stuff I tweeted, but majority of the time, the stuff I'm tweeting, I still stand by. I just might say, hey, there is this extra stuff. If this matters to you, great. But to me, sometimes it doesn't even actually change my my initial tweet, my initial thought, I guess you could say. Unless you have other examples. Because there has been some times, obviously, where I have gone back on some of the stuff I said, which is fine. I'm, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna go 10 for 10 out there. No, no, I I looked at your Twitter feed and tried to scroll back, but it's that's a to get topics to argue about because I I know there have been cases in the past where I'm just like, what's he tweeting about? Why? But mm. uh, to, Dang, I, would, I would have loved to have the, yeah, know what I, those were. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I just, in the pre-show, I just didn't have any time to research. Yeah. And so unfortunately gotcha. for us today. Um, yeah. So Dana, I, I know I had, you know, the, the pace of play was another subject that Brady was talking about a lot on Twitter. Do you, and I didn't really gauge your opinion on this one necessarily yet, but is that something, do you agree with? Do you think that those tweets were well-founded or do you think that the pace of play of things being blown out of proportion? No, I think this is, you know, like a lot of Brody's tweets, there's a lot of truth in it. However, the, you know, the reasoning for, for it or the presentation of the tweet, whatever is Mm. slightly misguided or off, but yeah, they're, there's some issues with a number of players that are, are slow players. And then if you catch those couple players on, on the same card, it's all of a sudden you're, you're facing big backups. It's not fun. It's not fun for anybody, for players, fans, production, all the above. However, you know, when we start talking and looking for reasonable solutions, I, I really don't know what that might be because do we go to an extreme like baseball where game is on the line, ninth inning, pitch clock, the batter steps out or whatever, game over. Like, that's the type of, I think we would have to go to that extreme. Like, do we want to go to that extreme? And like, how to, then also how to define like, you know, when the clock starts and, you know, are there at times where you can add on extra time if you're on the clock because a deer ran out or a a car alarm went off. Like how there's so many, there's so much to figure out and, and then to implement, it seems really extreme, but where we're going with the pro tour and having it be more condensed, smaller and more, uh, you know, 
power behind it with staffing and everything, it, it may become accomplishable, but you know, we're, then we're going to start talking about refs and miss calls and, and all of that. Like disc golf isn't perfect with, with calling and, and all of that. And, um, but going one more thing on that, like to tweet at the, the PDGA, like, I think it's, we're talking what Brody is. I think he's getting as a, a widespread change in the rules versus like enforcement of the rules. Cause as it's written now, it's, it's on the players uh, to, to enforce or to call uh, a marshal over. Right. Okay. So Brody, what do you, um, what do you think about the pace of play? Do you think it's something that could be changed within the current rules? Is it things just need to change or do you have solutions you think would be easily implemented? Yeah. So Dana mentioned like, you know, pace of play really tough, right? There's all these different factors that go into it. You know, do we want to have someone putting for the world championship on 18 and then an official running in blowing, you know, waving their hands being like, Nope, you didn't do it fast enough. You lose kind of thing. Um, I think there actually is a really easy solution and it's one that I literally did myself when I was there on Sunday, I was watching on the grounds and I noticed that there was no one on hole 17. There was no one on hole 13. There was no one on hole 12 or on hole 14. I couldn't see if there was anyone on, on 16 cause it's way back in the woods. And then it, I believe it looked like there was no one on 15. So that whole co- portion of the course, no one was there. And I was like, what's going on? So then I went onto to disc and I scrolled down and lo and behold, I got to see that someone was on 18 and someone was on 12 at that time. So if I'm a PDGA marshal, that takes three seconds to just, if I'm constantly on UDISC and I'm constantly patrolling UDISC and I'm just looking now, obviously the big issue here, and I'll, and I'll say this, the big issue is if we're ever playing, if we're ever playing a tournament where the connection is bad, if the connection is bad, where there are some holes where it takes UDISC to kind of take a little bit of time to go, right? You can't just, it doesn't just go right away. That is where I think PDJ marshals need to actually be strolling. There was, I believe, three or four PDJ marshals out there. They can be strolling a five-hole loop and make sure that there's no gaps or there's not gaps that are starting. And then all you have to do is when you see that there's a massive gap, when you see that there's a three-hole gap between cards, all you have to do is go to the card that has that gap and then just watch. And if you start seeing people walk slowly, if you start seeing the card hang around the tee pad and talking for a minute and a half before anyone goes to throw, if you start seeing someone pump fake for 60 seconds on a putt, then they can step in and say, hey, um, you guys are on the clock or whatever it may be. And you can even do that at the beginning. You can even walk up to them and say, hey, there's a three-hole gap in front of you guys. You're on the clock. And then as a card... Because I think right now, and, and I think uh, I was seeing this from some other people tweeting that were at the event. I think right now, a lot of the vibes I get is like players play as a casual round. They throw their shot. They, everyone watches it. The last person that throws, everyone watches it. And then they go and walk back to their bag. They pick their bag up and then they walk and talk. If, if it was more treated like, hey, like time of play, like pace of play, if we can play in less than two hours or whatever it is, that's going to be a better product for everyone involved. I think everyone wins in that scenario. But the problem right now that we're having is we're having rounds that take, you know, almost three hours on a course that probably should take two. We're having rounds that take close to four hours on a course that might should only take three. And you just end up having these big backups. You end up all these things and, Again, it's not necessarily because, because everyone wants to say it's because, oh, well, that card was playing worse. And I actually did the math uh, just because I was actually curious. So they started 10 minutes. Um, the, card, the card that I was talking about, they started 10 minutes before, right? Um, and they were saying, look at their scores. Look at their scores. Like they're way over more. Like they're, Ezra's card has a bunch of people 10 under par. If you go off of relative to par, or you don't, you actually aren't going off of how many throws they had. So at the time when there was a five hole gap, again, you got to remember that the fast card, the card that's on eight hole 18 had 10 more minutes, right? Cause they started 10 minutes ahead. So with a 10 minute advantage, the fast card threw 223 shots through 18 holes at that moment, the slow card threw 179 shots. 
So if you're going to tell me that the 10 minute gap paused for over 44 shots, then I guess we agree to disagree. But I don't think anyone's throwing 44 shots in 10 minutes. So the argument of like, oh, well, they're way less uh, under par. They're not playing as well. That's why they threw less shots in way less time. And also that's not even counting how much more walking that the fast car did. The fast car walked all 18 holes and threw 44 more shots. So like, I, there's just a lot of, I think, and the thing that I've never understood is like why people defend slow play. I don't, I do not understand it. It sucks for everyone. No one likes it. When you're on the card playing with someone slow, it sucks. When you're spectating and you're sitting there for 45 minutes and no one has come through, that sucks. If you're on the production team and you're like, uh, we have a three-car backup on this hole, what the heck are we going to do? That sucks. It sucks for everyone involved. So I don't know why we're defending it. And it's the number one thing on tour right now that is being discussed by players. And uh, I've just, I'm, I'm over it at this point to where like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna start calling up TDs or PDA to fit whatever I need to do to be like, hey, there's someone that's playing slow in front of us. Can you go out and tell them to speed up? Because players aren't doing it. Because I wouldn't want to do it either. I get it. It sucks to tell someone, hey, man, you're slowing us all down. Now that guy hates you, and you're probably like, you're probably sleeping across, you know, the parking lot from that guy or girl or whoever, right? Like that's the problem. Is it's such a close knit community? like the tour players that if you ever say anything bad about anyone, everyone takes it so personally. So no one wants to say anything bad. And again, like a lot of people thought I'm calling Nico out. I'm not calling Nico out. There was actually other people on that card that other pros will say are slow players. There are tons of slow players on tour. And I would even argue that Nico's actually not that slow other than the occasional times where he takes a little bit long to putt. He's pretty quick at walking and to me, I think that's way slower. If I walk up to my, sorry, I'm ranting right now. But if I walk up to my shot, that's, you know, 450 feet down the fairway and I turn around and I'm waiting for you to get to your shot, that's 440 feet. And you're 150 feet behind me doing this. I think that's worse than someone sitting at a putt for 60 seconds. Because you're going to be doing that on every single walk. And that's going to add up so much time. So rant over. That's, that's my thought on pace of play. Okay. A lot, a lot to take in there. Uh, but yeah, I'd be really interested in your solution for making people walk faster. Cause you tell them that they're on the clock. Like there's the clock, like from your shot to the next shot. No, 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 no. I walk up to your card. I say, Dana, there's a four hole gap between you and the card in front of you. You guys need to close that gap. So instead of you walking like this now, walk like this. It's just a little bit more pep in your step. We're all professionals. We can all do it. I, I, I know we can do it. I know we can walk a little bit faster. We're not sprinting. We're just walking on a disc golf course. If if I want to if I want to drag my feet or if I want to strut like Paul McGrath, you're gonna get or, you're gonna get race, race down the fairway like Ricky. Like that should be up to me. No, uh, not not when it's slowing the entire course behind you. It should not. No, because that's hurting the product. That's the the main thing that the disc golf pro tour should be thinking about is the product. And slow play, no one likes it. No one likes watching anyone walk slowly down a fairway. That's not entertaining. I, I would also argue that I would say majority of pros could not care how you walk to your disc. You could skip to your disc. I don't think that's going to matter. So the, the, how, you're, you, how you get to your disc, no one cares. That's not the entertaining part of disc golf. So the more we can eliminate the boring part of disc golf, which is the walking, the better. Yeah, and that's, I feel like the walking, I think that was, that's an issue that for the production side of things and like taking it in virtually, like from home, watching the stream is not an issue because we've got more. What about the, what about the players behind them though? What's that? What about the, what about the groups behind the person that's walking slow? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm talking about the, the production part and no, but this but is an that... issue that is, is where there's enough content, whether it's commercials and enough other cards. And then in the case of this season, there's enough players in contention that you're cutting, you're cutting live quickly over, but 
I have you watched a lot of live this year? Uh, you know what? I I tuned out for a little bit of the summer, but I've watched the majors and a lot of the early part of the season. The majors have definitely been better, but I will say someone that watches a lot, uh, I, I would disagree with what you said because there are times where I'm seeing people play tic-tac-toe. There are times I'm seeing people play card games. There's times I'm seeing people, people play hacky sack. There's times where I'm hearing people talk about what they're going to eat later. Why is that? Because there's a three-card backup. Yeah. And, that- and, and the cameras are on, the, all the, they're all on that card. So there's only so much you can do now worlds was way better because they're starting to. And again, I don't know if that's just because it's worlds, but they had standalone cameras, which I think are huge. Having cameras on holes, the entire tournament where you can see Luke Humphreys throwing ace, you can see big germ almost throwing ace. That's massive for generating content, but that that's not the norm. And until that becomes the norm, we're going to need players to play fast because I get it where you're saying like, that doesn't mess up production if someone's walking slow. Well, it does if it causes a three-card backup. And now the lead card's walking up to a hole, and there's three cards already on the hole. And yes. now, now they're like, all right. all right, well, let's go to Terry. Uh, Terry, what are the vibes out there? All and right. then we get to hear about the vibes on let, the court. Let, let, you know? let Dana respond. All right. I mean, that's, sorry <laughs> if I went too long. Oh, you're, you're good. Um, I think I would argue that the, the bigger issue with, with the backups and everything is more – whole whole design which is a mm-hmm. whole whole nother topic and i think you know at what we saw at, at smuggler's notch is that uh the design on both courses keeps tweaking and getting getting harder and longer and all these other things but they've also done some uh moves to eliminate uh backup holes and then uh known backup holes and i think that's more so if we have the right pro- the the right course design that's going to help with the pace of play a lot more than the the times where the three slow players get paired up on a, on a card together. But I, as for as far as like telling people to walk faster, like I I disagree, I disagree with that over telling them to not take sixty seconds on a putt. I'd say putt putt within thirty seconds, and if you want to you want to walk at at your pace, do it. But even if that causes backups again if you gotta yeah it's hard to argue it's i'm not arguing for uh slow play by any means i'm just trying to but walking slow is is a part of slow play though those go hand i think he's trying to say it's a lot tougher to enforce because you can't you're not gonna necessarily clock a player from the time they throw to the time they approach their lie it would that would be a little absurd no no it's you can I agree on the, on the green or on, when you approach your lie, like I'm all, like, I try to look at these issues, like from, you know, a top to bottom standpoint from enforcement to, to creating the rules. And then what, you know, we see it almost every year now where the PDGA changes a rule and a lot of times it's a good change, but it's not worded. There might be a loophole or it's not worded correctly. And there's confusion. Like I like, I'd like to eliminate that those rules. And then this just sounds like the whole walking thing. Uh, I, yeah, well, I disagree. We, we know that the game of golf does have a lot of ambiguity within the rules and you, it is important to know that the PDJ does have a proposed rule um, currently proposed to um, start putting players on the clock and, and add a little more, um, a little more in the rules to back up that idea. But you know, there's only so much you can do, uh, between the throws, I guess we could say. Uh, I want to hop into just one more topic that was pretty prominent on Twitter um, just to kind of wrap things up. And that has to do with the commentary, particularly in the FPO division. Um, Brody was tweeting about, uh, it was Zoe Andike who was doing commentary on a, a shot um, that was a forehand throw that hit really early into the ground, got a really nice skip result, uh, 90% chance it was, I would say maybe higher than that, that it was not intentional. Certainly easy, not Trevor. Easy Trevor. Listen, I just, I just <laughs> want to leave that percentage in there just to, but like <laughs> nobody ever tries to throw that shot. I'll say that um, the commentary, you know, Brody was arguing the commentary was giving it a little too much credit. I think that that's a common um, complaint with FPO commentary. Sometimes it feels like it can be too nice or even when a nice shot is thrown or 
or a, a routine shot is thrown. I think an example was earlier this year, Kristen made a step putt from 40 feet and there were just comments being made by the commentary team acting as if this putt was a one in a million, almost, almost in a, in a fashion where it was not, um, wasn't giving the player enough credit because it was almost too much credit for a routine putt. Um, and in any case, uh, Dana, you kind of disagreed with Brody's at- approach towards that, maybe saying it was a little too harsh. What do you feel? Do you feel like the FPO commentary, you know, is fine the way it is? Do you think that maybe it just, you know, isn't right to approach it the way that Brody did? What's your whole thought process there? Well, that particular clip, uh, what's that? The anti-throller. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I felt like they, they kind of like, laughed it off. And then Zoe went into explaining, you know, why it did that it, because it hit perfectly. I, I didn't get the sense that she was trying to twist it into like, this was a great shot that they, this player meant to do. I, I don't even remember who it was. Um, so Smith. I, I felt like that singling out that, that particular clip was, was not the best uh, because to me, it, she explained what happened. Um, and, and then I, I responded with, Hey, you know, do you know, do you know, Zoe, not because that totally matters, but like (laughs) color commentary, like people that's, that's when you're doing color, you are, that's your personality. That's who you are. You're coming out. There's different styles, you know, Philo, Philo's approach is different than Zoe's than that is different than Brian Earhart's than different than mine. Uh, And I'm going to take, you know, my personality and, and my, you know, how I view things and I'm, you're going to, you're going to get to know me. And so to, you know, to the point of color commentary and, and FPO commentary, we're, we could have the best color commentator or play by play. Somebody's going to hate her. There's going to be a huge group of people that, that hate this commentator. It, you look at NFL, MLB, what, whatever, no matter who it is, you're going to have half the people that love them, half the people that hate them. Maybe, uh, you know, in the case of Zoe with her, who she is, which great person, great ambassador. I don't think anyone is, is arguing that. However, she does take that approach into the commentary and it, it, she can sugarcoat things, uh, and, and not, not highlight anything negative, which to me, that's her style. And I'm, I'm fine with it. It's not, it's not my favorite. I would, I'm, I'm happy to hear a little bit more critical, uh, critical talk. Um, however, like the clip that was shown, um, to me, like they, she went into explaining exactly what happened. They laughed it off. They didn't pull one. They didn't need to like totally trash the throw and the player and, and all of that and say, this was awful. What are they doing? Or nerves or whatever. I, I don't know. That seems kind of, that seems a little boring to me, but anyways, uh, Hopefully I got somewhat of my point across there. Yeah. So you're basically saying uh, you, Trevor, you, let me jump in. Let me jump go in ahead, go ahead. before I forget. Okay. So you did kind of do the thing that I just said. Most people do where you said, Zoe, great person, great ambassador. However, she does seem to sugarcoat things. But you did kind of do the thing of where you're like saying positive things about someone. And then you added in, like, it's not my favorite way of doing commentary, but then you kind of contradicted yourself. Cause you just said that I would like to see something that's a little bit more critical. And then at the very end, you said, but uh, I think you just said that like, if they would have said it was a bad shot, nerves, whatever, which would have been more critical, uh, you said that's kind of boring. So do you want more critical or do you not because it's boring? Yeah, I don't feel like there's a little gotcha here. But um, There's not a gotcha. I'm just literally trying to figure out what kind of commentary you want. That, oh, that I want? Yeah, because you said that you you said initially with Zoe that you didn't like her commentary because she sugarcoats it. You would have liked to have it a little bit more critical because she doesn't go negative. But then at the very very end, you said she didn't say anything about like, oh, that was a bad shot, nerves, and you said that would have been boring. But I would think that would be more critical. Yeah, it would have been just like a little blanket, like on you know, hey, you see it, and it's like, oh, that's that's a basic thought. That's what nine. That's what people watching that ninety. Like I, everybody sees that they saw what happened. So why do you, if you don't have anything interesting to say or that, why, why say it? And I, I felt, but in that clip, Zoe, what she said was, was fine. But, but just kind of going back to, if I posted that clip and I would have said something completely different then my, my followers would have then said, 
would have then believed me, right? Because you said initially, like one of the reasons uh, I need to wor- be worried about what I tweet about is like when I tweet something, people are going to listen to what I say. And if I tweet something that's infactual, people are going to think that's facts. So in Zoe's position of where she is, if she says something, people are going to view that as that's what it is. So initially you might've thought like, holy cow, that was a bad throw. And then listening to Zoe talk about it, you could do what Trevor's doing, which is like, I'm 90% sure that's a bad throw, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe she was trying to do it. So it is a little bit on the commentators to you know, try to do a better job of letting the viewers at home. And my big point on that whole thing is if you go back and listen to it, she never says bad. She never says mistake. She never says anything negative about the throw. I think she actually uses the adjective perfect three times when describing the throw. And if you want to learn how to throw a forehand skip shot, you can go on YouTube and search how to throw a forehand skip shot. It's not a really good throw in disc golf, not super common. And especially for where Allie was definitely probably not the shot uh, you want to try to throw there. If you're trying to win a world championship, I would have loved to have heard more about why that shot occurred and how to prohibit that shot. If I'm a listener and I'm like, gosh, I turf forehands all the time. I do exactly what she just did. How do I fix that? A little more breakdown into that why that happened, I think would have been better for the viewers at home than explaining why a bad shot uh, ended up being good. And it's to each their own. And this is why I think it would be interesting if they had... Um, if they had did like, I don't know how much work this would be, but if they did like two commentaries, right? Because some people love Jomez. Some people hate Jomez. And I agree with you. Every commentary, there's going to be some people that like it and some people that don't. So what if we did something that other sports are starting to do where like, you know, in the NFL, they have the Manning cast where it's much more of a relaxed kind of commentary with two ex-players talking. Like what if they did something like that where you had the professional disc golf network commentary and then you have like a secondary commentary that's maybe more like Joe Mez that's more like laid back and chill and, and talking it'd be interesting to give you know viewers maybe different options um but yeah I mean I think I think when it comes to it I think uh it goes back to my point of where people are friends with a lot of these people and so Zoe's in a weird spot because if she says like oh my gosh Allie looks like she's really really nervous right now um she dipped her shoulder a little bit farther than normal and just, you know, threw it straight into the ground. Uh, she got a great break, but this is something that we need to look on to see if this is something that she can battle through uh, being in a position that she's never been in at a world championship. That might be, if Zoe says that and Allie listens to it, Allie might be like, oh, wow, Zoe, I thought we were friends. Why are you saying, you know, there could be something like that. And I could see how that could be tough. But to me, as a, uh, as a viewer, I would love to hear that. Yeah. And side as of so years ago, uh, we used to follow around the lead card tethered to a camera doing commentary. And I'd like, I'd, I can remember being critical, saying not even something critical, but just facts and, and having players turn around yeah. and, and get upset. Like, even though we're way off to the side and not trying to be respectful of them, that those were, those were uh, some interesting, interesting days when we had to follow them around like that. But anyways, I, as far as like Zoe and, and Charlie, I think part of it too is like five rounds. Like you're, you're hearing the same, the same two people for multi, you know, three, four plus hours a day, whether it's on the MPO and the FPO side. And it, it can, those little things, uh, you know, they, they can add up and, and grind, grind on somebody. But as, as far as Zoe and, or, and Charlie, like I think, Earlier in the event, I heard Zoe say something and put a positive spin on it, like a bad shot. And I think Charlie quickly was like, uh, that was just a bad shot, Zoe, or, or something along those lines. So, I mean, I, I think it's part of the commentary team. And then again, it's a st- it's style and it's a person and it's it's color commentary. And it's it's also on the fly and it's it's a it's not an not an easy thing to do. I would say what you just said too is one one of the big issues with commentary right now is like the roles, right? The role the role is for Zoe to talk about whether it's good or not. It's not for Charlie to, right? Zoe's the player, the color analyst in that position, and um, I'm blanking on what Charlie's position is. Play by uh, play. Play 
play-by-play, yeah. Charlie's supposed to kind of just let you know what's going on, what stroke they're on, how many holes they're back by, or how many strokes they're back by, how long, you know, he's play-by-play. So it's weird. It's a weird dynamic when you have the play-by-play having to correct the color analyst, yeah. right? Think- of when it's like, yeah. that should be the, co- like the play-by-play should be uh, sitting back in whatever the color analyst is, even if they maybe disagree with it that you know they should kind of let that go cuz they are the expert in that in that chair. I could be wrong there but that's that's what it seems to me like I, I see from other you know two two uh commentary teams around sports. Yeah, and I I think disc golf um can improve like across the board on on the commentary can can improve uh even from our disc golf network A level teams like in those commentators staying within within their role and having know mm-hmm. the knowledge of when to talk and what to talk on like should you know should philo be closing out the show or should it be the host ian like things like you know l- little things like that like i think that we're seeing it get better and better but there's there's still a lot of improvement a- across the board whether it's from a silver series commentary team to a to a major commentary team like and i think for someone that's been watching and a part of it for a long time like we've gotten, it's gotten so much better and yes, uh, it's going to continue to do so, but we're in, we're still in this infancy of, of it all. And product that's being put out there, I think right now is, is pretty darn good. Um, and as far as like close on the commentary, you know, it's just like, we can go argue about whether the, you know, the sky's blue or, or light blue or whatever. Everyone's going to, everyone's going to have a different opinion. And some people are going to love Zoe's positive approach some people aren't going to like it. Some people like me are going to say, Hey, next week, it's going to be someone else in the booth or, you know, I can, I can hit mute if I don't like it, but I, it's always fine. <laughs> There's just a, Hey, she, she's got that positive spin and that's not for everybody. Yeah. It's, well, I also don't think it's for sports commentary personally. Um, I don't think trying to make everything positive and, and, and sure code everything is for sports commentary. Cause I think that's where you lose a lot of the facts, but you are right. Uh, I do want to just like, you know, shout out like Ian and Philo for, for example, like when they first started as a team, there was a lot of weaknesses. There was a lot of things that they were uh, struggling with. And now I, I, you cannot tell me that if you go back and watch their first couple tournaments going and now you cannot tell me that there's been a lot of growth there. They've gotten both significantly better. And, you know, as long as they keep improving and this kind of just goes back to my whole thing. If no one's really calling stuff out, if no one's really saying anything, and everyone just wants to sit back and be like, well, it's not that bad. It's, you know, me saying something that's not going to, I don't think we see much change. And that's, that's all I'm saying is, and in that scenario too, I even just posed a question. I didn't even say this FPO commentary is bad. I literally just said, do you think this FPO commentary is being handled by kids gloves? Uh, and I was just curious what people thought. And you had some people obviously say no. And then you had some people that say yes. So, um, oh, I need to charge my battery. Hold on. <laughs> battery charge break um while he's doing that just want to thank everybody for listening to today's episode let us know in the comments if you enjoy this type of format if you want to see more one-on-one debate night type uh episodes but um yeah make sure to leave a like and subscribe to the podcast network if you're interested in this content and make sure to give us your takes on all these debates in the comments below um we want to see your input too. Um, make sure to keep things civil in the comments as the guys have done on the show today, but uh, make sure to get your opinions across as well. Are we back in Brody? Yeah. Are, are we, are, can I close, closing good. words? Yes. Yeah. Dana, big, big, big shout out to you for coming on here. Like I said, I didn't, I was not trying to take a stab at you personally. Cause like I said, I was unfamiliar with your prowess in the disc golf scene. So I wasn't trying to take a stab at you or your career in disc golf. All I was saying is like, me and Trevor have seen many a times people talk on Twitter and then we are like, Hey, come on the show. Let's talk about it. Never do never do. So I just want to say thanks for coming on here. I do appreciate it. Um, and hopefully at the end of all this, the only thing we can agree on is I am still a chump. (laughs) Well, that's, uh, that makes two of us then maybe, maybe even three, if uh, we want to, Oh, Trevor's no chump. Trevor is no chump. So Trevor, uh, Trevor is a, a dad. <laughs> so no chump. <laughs> um, well, thanks. Uh, thanks again, Dana, for joining the show today. We appreciated you having you on. We won't keep you any longer. Um, but do you have any, any final words to the, to the viewers? 
Yeah. Um, for, for all of you out there that are, what's the right word, tweeting with me or at me, go, go ahead and Google, Google my name, go into PDGA. And I'm, I'm not trying to brag on myself or anything, but like I, I play disc golf. I still play disc golf. I used to play at a high level. So all those jabs and, and all that are just too, like, Dana's, Brody, like Brody, do a little more research. Dana's been around the block. Dana has been around the block. I thought you were um, about to open a huge can of worms when you were <laughs> going to bring up your PGA number because that's one that I'm waiting to drop a nuclear bomb. Uh, but I'm glad you didn't do that. <laughs> okay. Um, well, in any case, that's been another episode of Debate Night. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Not our typical format, but we thought it was uh, with everything going on and circulating on Twitter, this would be a really cool thing that you would enjoy. So let us know if you did uh, or if you did not. And that's okay. We'll, we won't do it again. Um, but uh, that has been the episode. And we will see you again next week.